Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Fiona Bennett. And I'm Michael Schaefer. Great to see you, Michael. You too, Fee. Now, it's an exciting week, isn't it? Are you looking forward to your weekend? Very, very much so. I've, uh, I've been preparing my camper van um, because we're off to Latitude. Of Fun. course, this weekend. Well, that's a very good way to do it in style, isn't it? With your with your relatively new camper van. Yes, new to me. Yeah. Now, does it have a name, Michael? I know mm. lots of people get into this name. People the have been van. sort of nominating names, and I've oh. not really. None of them are really stuck. I think Colette, the camper van. <laughs> Colette, the camper van. Yeah, that's my Interesting. offer. I'll, I'll try that out. See how it sits. See how that goes. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be amazing, actually, isn't it? Um, so many extraordinary acts and people there, and yeah. It's going to be fantastic to be part of it. And we're going to be talking to Nadine Sharp. Nadine Sharp, Mercury Music Prize nominated Nadine Sharp. I just think she's fantastic. Um, she's really sort of she's got a lot of attitude and she's political. She's from the northeast. She's just got a really interesting take on things, I think. And um, yeah, I can't wait to uh, speak to her about her poem. And we've also got Hannah Jane Walker. Fantastic. It's going to be an amazing conversation between the two of them because they're both... I think uh, Hannah Jane's work is really profoundly engaged with honesty, in a way. I mean, obviously, one sort of thinks all art is, but, you know, I think she's made a kind of an active um, investigation of the state of honesty in performance in some ways. And um, so I think her and Nadine together is going to be pretty mind-blowing can't wait and of course we'll get to see both of them perform yes and do their thing as well which yeah. will be terrific yeah, yeah can't wait fantastic so it's been a busy time all round with the poetry exchange team hasn't it because the fantastic sally anglesey our creative producer has been working really hard on kind of developing the website a bit further and yeah it's had a bit of a revamp hasn't it yeah yeah it's great so do head over there and take a look. Yeah, it looks really great. Sally's done a terrific job and it's, it, it's, it's much easier to access um, the previous episodes uh, and it's got all of the, the text of the poems really nicely laid out. We had a bit of trouble with that before and that's all um, looking really great and so you can listen to the thing and, and read the poem as you're doing it. So that, that's, I don't know, I think that's really great. I think there's probably one or two bits of it that we still want to kind of work out how we're going to do. There's new, there's new ideas kind of brewing for how we can increase the kind of interconnectivity between us and you, or all, all of you listening. Uh, uh, so we'll be working on that and, and keeping you posted with those developments. And of course, in the meantime, if you are able to make a donation, no matter how small, it makes an enormous difference to us being able to do all this stuff, which takes uh, fees and funding for all sorts of aspects of the work, permissions to use the poems by these great poets, uh, upgrading of the technology and those things involved. So every little donation is really helpful and the donate page is there on the new site so do head along there if you uh, feel so inclined. So we should just dive straight into this month's episode and uh, you'll be listening to Fiona and myself talking about Oh Captain, My Captain by Walt Whitman, the poem that's been a friend to Farrah. So have you, have For, I got a poem? Yeah. Have you I brought do, your friend? I do, I have brought my friend. 
Would you mind reading it out for us? Of course. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, captain, my captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near, the bells I hear, the people all exulting. While follow eyes the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But O oh, heart, 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 O oh, the bleeding drops of red, where on the deck my captain lies, fallen, cold, and dead. O oh, captain, my captain, rise up and hear the bells. Rise up, for you the flag is flung, for you the bugle trills. For you bouquets and ribboned wreaths, for you the shores are crowding. For you they call, the swaying mass, their eager faces turning. Here, Captain, dear father, this arm beneath your head, it is some dream that on the deck you've fallen cold and dead. My captain does not answer, his lips are pale and still. My father does not feel my arm, he has no pulse nor will. The ship is anchored, safe and sound, its voyage closed and done. From fearful trip, the victor ship comes in with object one. Exult, O shores, and ring, O bells, but I, with mournful tread, walk the deck my captain lies, fallen cold and dead. Fantastic, thank you. I'm, I'm not aware we've had anyone else bring in Walt Whitman, but I don't know anything about him, and I don't know this poem, but why do I feel as if that, O captain, my captain, where do I know that from? I, possibly from Dead Poet Society. Dead Poet Society. And you know what's so interesting is that 30 years ago, uh, I went to see that film in the cinema. It was the year I graduated from high school. And I was going to be a lawyer because my father, who was a sea captain, really wanted me to be a senator. He's like, you're going to go to law school, then you're going to be a senator, and you're going to be part of this great democracy, you know, because my father was an immigrant. So I was like, okay, I'll be a lawyer, because I didn't really know yet. And um, so I graduated high school. That summer, I went to see this film, Dead Poet Society, with my friends. And I came home and I said, Dad, I'm going to be an English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh no, <laughs> you're going to be poor. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. That's not the plan. <laughs> <laughs> he was devastated. But it also means so much more than that film, but I think the reason why it's a friend to me is because it really showed me, I really want to teach. Right. And it, I don't need to be a big senator and, you know, get my soul all dirty <laughs> in <laughs> politics, you know. <laughs> but this poem, I mean, Walt Whitman's important to me as an American as well, because he's a poet of democracy. And um, this poem was actually written for Abraham Lincoln when he was assassinated. Um, he was... Uh, uh, the president who Walt Whitman and a lot of other people who were pro-democracy were looking at as the kind of savior. And he actually called him the redeemer president, you know, uh, that high hope that Americans have for that office. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's really poignant mm -hmm. at a time like this when um, many of us feel that that office is not what it used to be because of who's occupying it right now. And Walt Whitman was self-consciously kind of fashioning himself into the American bard, you know, because there was no American bard prior to him. He was, you know, he wasn't, he was kind of bumping around, you know, doing mm -hmm. odd jobs. He was a carpenter and then he became a teacher and then he worked in um, hospitals during the Civil War uh, with soldiers and kind of 
sort of ministering to them without talking about God. Um, and he was pro-abolition. He was he talked about democracy and 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 everybody in America as diverse and equal. You know, he spoke all of those things that we value now. So you saw the film. Is the full poem in the film, or did you then go and seek out the poem? I sought out the poem, mm. and then I sought out romantic poems. I don't know if it was about the stage of my life when um, my father, we'd mo we moved to Texas, he immigrated to Texas, and I grew up there. And as I was graduating high school, just before he had lost his job, and he had to sell the motorhome and then sell the house and then drop his car off at the bank because it was repossessed. And we moved into this little tiny place. And then I, my senior year in high school, I had to go and work. Um, and uh, yeah, I've worked like ever since. Mm. And um, my mom had to go back to school and get some qualifications and she got a job and then my dad felt shamed by that. And it's just really interesting. So we, I was witnessing this kind of loss of our life and the American dream. And then um, he, after high school, uh, my dad had found a job in California and so we moved out there and I went to university over there. Can I ask, um, you, you've mentioned your dad a couple of times now, mm. you mentioned in passing that he was a sea captain. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, a retired sea captain. Um, and when I was a child, he was away a lot. But my father and I are extremely close. Mm. And I know that a lot of the person that I am today was formed by watching him and listening to him. You know, when I was 16, he woke me up on my 16th birthday and took me to get my driver's license and my social security number and job applications. And he's like, you're going to work, you're going to make your own money, and you're always going to be, you know, self-reliant. And it was this weird sort of feminist thing that was coming from this very patriarchal, you know, half Pakistani, half British sea captain. <laughs> I couldn't really understand it. And then, of course, you know, as I grew up, I discovered that my um, my father's mother um, was beaten by his dad a lot. He was my um, his father was an alcoholic, and um, was a really wonderful man when he wasn't drinking. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how my father's preserved that memory of him. Mm -hmm. But he remembers his mother getting you know beaten mm -hmm. a lot. So he joined a training ship when he was 14, and then started you know as soon as he could saved money, sent for her you know, and tried to rescue her. And so um, he didn't, he always felt that women needed to have something of their own so that if they find themselves in that situation, they can just walk. Mm. So that, he really instilled that in me, which is yeah. really interesting because it's so paradoxical come from my dad because sometimes you hear the most patriarchal stuff coming out of him, <laughs> you know. And he's a poet too, he writes poems. Oh, your dad does? Yeah, he writes oh. poems all the time. He's always writing, he kind of publishes his own poems in these little booklets and... Wow. Yeah. You know, he's incredibly soulful and, you know, he's a man of the sea and mm. so um, the sea, like, is inside him. He's a very passionate, tempestuous man and very oh, yeah. complex life he's lived yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, so the poem, 
I, I'm supposing it's also what that has been for you has probably changed mm. what, what the resonance of it has been yes there's probably been many versions of what this this journey captain is about yes well I mean the metaphor of the ship and the, the, the journey um, is the civil war in this poem yeah. and what the triumph is what the victory is is the the union um and the north having won the civil war and um and he's obviously seeing um abraham lincoln as key to this and abraham lincoln is exactly the kind of president that he thinks we should have which is someone who's come from very humble beginnings who understands that hard labor and hard journey of the working person. So um, that, that, all of that is what's going on in there. And, and as an American, I, I mean, I read Walt Whitman saying that as an American, the American spirit, that's the arm underneath his head, you know, um, and democracy and all those things that he he stood for mm. when he was alive, mm. the president. I guess for me, there's a lot of other stuff in there. Um, and the resonance of it now is I feel, I feel profound uh, as a child of an immigrant and someone who was introduced into the American dream as this, you know, it is this gift or something. They talk about it as this gift. I've lived in England now for 21 years, so I have this nice, you know, sort of distant. Mm-hmm. objective view on how I was raised and how I was indoctrinated by the world around me. You know, we used to stand up every day at school and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. You, you say that every morning before school starts. It, when I first found that out, mm. uh, uh, it, uh, it, that was the word that came to my head was indoctrination. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is, it's as disturbing as that seems, the weird thing is, is because America is so, such a diverse place with you know immigrants from everywhere, literally everywhere, because nobody there is indigenous except the indigenous Native Americans, yeah. mm-hmm. um, that it was the one America itself as an idea was the one unifying thing. You know, I can move as a, as a Pakistani-born girl to America and become American. I can't move to Ireland and become Irish. Nothing I do is ever going to make me Irish. Mm. Mm. Uh, you know, I can live mm. there, I can become a citizen, but I will never be Irish. Mm. Whereas I can move to America and I can become American. And I actually don't have any other identity. I don't, if someone took that away from me, I have, I would be, I have no idea what I am. What's striking about this is that this is very declamatory and it very is. public. Yeah, it's an ode, it's, isn't it? Right, yeah. 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 Um, and quite and quite story rooted mm. as well as this mm. kind of story of the captain and the journey and so it's very yeah do you, do you do you love that about it about the kind of how the poem is in form as well I do I like the repetition mm. um, you get this sense of finality the finality of death you know if the, if death is something that you think I, I, I think about death a lot. <laughs> just wrote my will. <laughs> mm. um, and mortality is something that we are really uncomfortable thinking about. You know, you're being morbid if you talk about death. 
Um, but this kind of repetition of fallen cold and dead, fallen cold and dead, mm. you get this sense of the sort of weight of that, mm. of the body when it, life goes out of it. Mm. Um, and the, you, you know, the temp, the warmth of the body is gone. And I just find that image being repeated so fascinating. Mm. Um, and it's also, it captures profoundly his, his grief you know, his sense of loss. Because with Lincoln gone, then what's going to happen next? Mm. You know, I think there's a, a little angst here as well mm. about, mm. Um, okay, the ship is docked and, the, you know, the voyage is complete, but the captain's dead. <laughs> mm. Mm. And you've used the word leadership a few times, mm. and a captain is quite a old image of leadership in a way. Yeah. It's interesting, I'm wondering, you know, you're quite drawn to this this figure and the possibilities of that person yeah. who we can look to. It's a funny one because it seems to somehow contradict this egalitarian ideal that yeah. sits in Whitman. But my dad has loads of stories about being a sea captain and you know having his crew and how his crew would do whatever he told them to but he needs his chief engineer he needs his first officer you know all of those everybody on the ship has so much importance yeah. and when you're out at sea together the vulnerability is so great that it has to be um a team yeah you know there's a lot of there's the captain, but there's all these, there's the people on the shore, there's the people around, there's the, the arm beneath your head. Mm. There's a lot of the body of the people, isn't there, in the poem, as much as there is the captain. Absolutely. Um. For you, the shores are crowding. For you, they call mm. the swaying mass, their eager faces turning. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's only in the third verse where my captain then becomes my father. Yes. My captain does not answer, his lips are pale and still. My father does not feel my arm, he has no pulse nor will. Mm. And of course I can't, I had to sort of pick that out and mention that just because of mm. what you've been telling us yeah. about your father. Yes. The captain. Yeah, he, I mean he mentions father a couple times, but you're right, he says my father. And it, there's no question that the first time I heard this poem, I thought about my dad. Mm -hmm. There's no question I'm not thinking about it now when he's at the age of 86 and very, very frail. And he is certainly not that captain that he was before, which he's acutely aware of. And his world was always so huge. I mean, he's just this global personality. He's literally been everywhere. And his, you know, you, I sit down and talk to him and it's, I gotta go to the doctor and the pharmacy and you know and it's like the world is sort of their radius their sort of small radius of doctors and pharmacies and mm -hmm. I remember he came to visit a few years ago and I said let's get on the train go up to London for the day and he said oh it's raining I said dad didn't you navigate a ship through a storm and he goes oh yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like you can handle some rain come mm -hmm. on you know and we get on the train right mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of the sort of I'm the, the, the loss that I'm eventually going to feel when he's not here anymore, that's mm. beginning, that process mm. is beginning already. Mm.
I don't know if we've ever really had somebody bring in a poem that has kind of changed the course of your life in a way. It feels like mm. sort of quite a pivotal moment mm. and that, it, that both in kind of uh, practical ways it's kind of it changed things for you it's like you know the moment of going oh, no dad I'm not going to be a senator I'm going to I'm going to pursue English and poetry mm. and uh, I mean, we ask people if they can to say what sort of friend this poem has been I don't mm. quite know if you could categorise what sort of a friend this poem has been for you I suppose a friend that I didn't know I had that might have been sitting and sort of in observation of me and then one day kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said actually I know you pretty well and you I don't think you're making the right choice here you know a real friend tells you when you're going the wrong direction you know or you're doing something that isn't going to be right for you or your soul and um, so in some ways I guess Whitman was that friend or certainly this poem. O oh, captain, my captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near, the bells I hear, the people all exulting, while follow eyes the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But, oh, heart, 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 oh, the bleeding drops of red where on the deck my captain lies, fallen, cold and dead. Oh, captain, my captain, rise up and hear the bells. Rise up, for you the flag is flung, for you the bugle trills, for you bouquets and ribboned wreaths, for you the shores are crowding, for you they call the swaying mass, their eager faces turning. Here, captain, dear father, this arm beneath your head, it is some dream that on the deck you've fallen cold and dead. My captain does not answer, his lips are pale and still. My father does not feel my arm, he has no pulse nor will. The ship is anchored, safe and sound, its voyage closed and done. From fearful trip, the victorship comes in with object one. Exult, O shores, and ring, O bells. But I, with mournful tread, walk the deck. My captain lies, fallen cold and dead. That was Fiona with the reading at the end there, and our thanks to Farah for allowing us to use the conversation. I just think that was such a fantastic conversation for us. I hope you all enjoyed listening to it too. It feels like it sits as one of many conversations that we've had where there's this sort of extraordinary testament to the way that poems travel, both across generations and eras and gender and culture and context and 
it's just such a such a fantastic thing these conversations the way that we understand how a poem written at a very particular point in time carrying a lot of huge significance to that historical moment then resonates out into a life in another time and again somebody who's also in the case of our visitor who's left their home and the poem is in some way is kind of in conversation with with the journey of of home we're going to take a little break over the summer we'll, uh, so there won't be an episode in august but we'll be back with you in september and hopefully we'll have our latitude episode for you with nadine shah and hannah jane walker Sophie, uh, have you got any recommendations for, for people in the summer, uh, reading or listening? Well, I think the summer is always a good time to be thinking about. It, whether you can be by the sea or not, it's always a good time to be with the sea. Uh, and so I would say Paul Henry's selected poems, The Brittle Sea, published by Seren. There's some sea references in there. There's lots of other beautiful images and journeys through parts of Wales, stories, powerful moments, all sorts of things in there. It's a selected work, so it's that's a great thing to great. take called, out into a field. The collection is called The Brittle Sea. The Brittle Sea, we'll brilliant put a, title. We'll put a link in the uh, description page. Fantastic. So until next time, have a great summer and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.